Welcome to the I-20 Sports Talk, an interview-based podcast where you listen to former international student athletes and their experience playing college sports in the United States. All right, so you're here today with Gabor Bursnari, from uh, a former college athlete from Hungary who is now a yoga instructor, husband, father, and someone very passionate about helping student athletes or athletes in general. Welcome, Gabor, and thank you so much for being here. And uh, I mean, I'm so glad. <laughs> yeah, no, thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Like I uh, said before we started it, I think uh, it seems like what you're doing is really, really cool and a super uh, value um, for prospective student athletes. So I'm, I'm happy to share and um, feel free to ask anything that you think might be helpful for others. I appreciate it. So you had a very successful tennis career. Take us back a little bit in your tennis journey. How how old were you when you started playing tennis? Successful is pretty relative. I don't know. Uh, you know, looking back, I uh, I wish I was a lot more successful, of course. But yeah, I started playing, um, you know, when I was four years old. Um, so started really, really early. And I think I was competing when I was six and, you know, started traveling um, when I was 10 and um, started traveling uh, for tennis internationally, probably around the age of like 11, 12 uh, in Europe. You know, my upbringing was relatively um, intense uh, for from a tennis perspective. I was homeschooled for pretty much most of my life. And um, yeah, so, you know, I, I was I was um, on the Hungarian national team for all my junior years and I had a relatively successful junior career. I was really hoping and I was geared towards making it into a professional career that of course did not uh, work out. But yeah, and then for a couple of years uh, after uh, high school, I, I tried, you know, tried to turn pro, uh, but honestly, my heart wasn't at that point in it anymore. And then, um, and then that's kind of what led me to come to play college tennis in the U.S. when I realized, and, and I don't know if it's, this is still the same, uh, but back then, this was a long time ago, and some of the stuff I'll be saying, you're probably like, oh my gosh, this really was a long time ago. Um, <laughs> no smartphones and none of that. But, uh, but yeah, so when I realized that that wasn't going to uh, happen for me, I wasn't going to make it on the ATP, um, the option of coming to the, to the, to the U S uh, came up and I just took that opportunity. And, you know, at that point, of course, uh, only D2 was available for me and I don't know how NCAA rules are right now, but, uh, but back then, you know, any, any year that you took off after high school counted against your eligibility. And actually I was 22 when I, when I came to the U.S., so just like you said, when when you get on university and you played professional, or you have that, you have twenty years old, twenty two years old, like you said, like to go to the U.S. How was the process of getting recruited? Because you you could only choose D two. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, and I think uh, it was you know I think my experience might have been uh, maybe slightly different from from some, but also probably pretty similar to a lot of other people at that time, right? And we're talking uh, 2001 and 2002, so this is a really kind of a long time ago. So you know I don't know how exactly recruiting process works now, but of course back then, you know, the world was quite a bit less connected than it is now. You know, the internet wasn't what it is now, right? Like we didn't have smartphones and all those things. So it really kind of happened 
kind of word of mouth, you know, like you knew someone that was maybe a year or two years older that went to this school. And then, you know, they kind of talked to the coach like, Hey coach, I know this guy that would be probably a good fit. And that's kind of how it started. Right. And just to give a couple of funny examples that probably not, not probably definitely isn't like that today. I mean, back then uh, there was, I remember this like super thick book of like colleges of the U.S. that, you know, <laughs> you would go to the library in your home country, like rent or buy this book. And like, you would look up schools and, you know, you would, uh, you would literally have to tape yourself, like record a videotape and then ship it across the ocean. So, yeah. So my, my, my story was, you know, I knew someone, uh, a friend, a friend of a friend that, that played at the, the school that I ended up going to, which was Anderson College in South Carolina. He kind of reached out like he knew that I was I was I was playing with the idea of coming to the U.S. Well, that's very interesting because I can imagine. I mean, what is library today? You know, it's just ebooks. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So why why did you make the decision between like you chose to go to the U.S.? I think it was more curiosity, wanting to explore uh, a different culture. And tennis at that point for me really was just a vehicle or a tool for that. How was your first day in the U.S. and in the college? Oh, my gosh. That's actually a pretty, uh, pretty funny uh, story, right? Because um, so I, I came to South Carolina, right? It's uh, the, the, the school is called Anderson, South Carolina, which is about uh, two, two and a half hours um, from Atlanta. So you fly into Atlanta, right? And again, I'm dating myself here, but back then, no cell phones. Like maybe, I mean, people did have cell phones, but it wasn't like you're carrying a cell phone around. Definitely didn't carry a cell phone around with an international, you know, SIM card. So it's, um, I had my coaches phone number, which was an office number. And my, uh, my flight was delayed significantly, I think like five, six hours. So the coach came to the airport to pick me up. But of course, since I was so delayed, he went home waiting for my phone call, but I only had his, um, his office number. So I landed probably, I don't know, midnight or something in Atlanta time. So, uh, I walk up with my huge baggage, you know, I keep moving across country. I don't know if, um, (laughs) You know, but you have like these big suitcases, your bag and all these things. So I walk up to a payphone, imagine that, um, and buy, um, try to buy, um, you know, a, a phone card, which again, you're like, what is even a phone card? But like you buy a phone card that you stick into a payphone and try to dial the coach. But if, of course, it's midnight or 1 a.m., so he's not picking up. So I'm like, I guess I just waited maybe four or five hours at the airport until I was able to get a hold of him. And he's like... I already kind of went to the airport. So can you just make your way down here? I was like, okay, how, how do I do that? And, you know, I guess you can imagine that with limited English, I spoke English, but not to the, you know, not to the level. So he's like, well, there's this thing called the Greyhound bus. Um, so I ended up, uh, ended up taking the, the train from Atlanta um, to, uh, to the Greyhound station, uh, got on the bus, Oh my God, that's so funny. Cause I remember like, I, I can imagine the resources were not like even today. And today, if you get to like to the US and you can always speak English, like, you, you still have like GPS and you can get an Uber, you know? And <laughs> back in the day was the Greyhound. Yeah, definitely no Ubers. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. And so you you went to the U.S. and you were a pretty good player. You you had a successful junior career. Did you feel pressure going to a tennis team with other other guys? 
You know, I, like I said, I think it, it just more had to do with my mindset about tennis at that point. And again, it's probably not, um, not, not much similar to a lot of people that are coming to the U.S. or thinking about coming to the U.S. But really at that point in my life and my tennis career, so to speak, tennis was really an afterthought. Was it because maybe you were sad that maybe you're not going to a professional career like you wanted it to? Hey, what's up? I hope you're enjoying this episode. Make sure to follow the I2N Sports Talk on Instagram and stay tuned for all the amazing stories that are coming up. Every week is a new journey. I think so. Yeah, I think that was, that was a big, big part of it, you know, and uh, I think a lot of people can probably relate to this, but uh, I, uh, I really, you know, my upbringing was really geared toward that, you know, it was very, very much focused on that, you know, like I said, homeschooled, you know, eight hours a day, seven days a week type of activity. I mean, that was all I did and everything that I did was related to tennis for, you know, I don't know, maybe 15 plus years of my life. Why did you, you didn't pursue the professional career? Oh, wow. That's a really good question. And that's actually probably, um, it goes to, to a lot about what and why, why and what I do now with, uh, with athletes. But um, really, um, I think it generally was uh, just a general burnout. You know, I think I was uh, maybe, um, maybe pushed a little too hard, a little too early, you know, at a, as a, at a young age. Uh, but more on a practical level, I, uh, you know, I tell people that I think there's three factors, at least in my life, but I see this in a lot of, uh, lot of uh, uh, young athletes, like not just tennis players, uh, the three factors that, that kind of didn't allow me to become as good as, as I was hoping to be. Um, and number one was, of course, finances, right? Like um, as a tennis player, you're like, you know, you need to travel a lot uh, and initially, especially uh, without making any money, you know, and I didn't have, you know, uh, I've had resources. My, my parents were incredibly supported, uh, more supported than I, I would be probably with my kid uh, financially, but they just had l limitations on that. So that was one aspect that, that, um, that is not something that I could have done anything about, right? That was just kind of a given situation. But there's two other aspects that, that are very much, uh, very much, you know, changeable and kind of what I hope to do and help people do now is number one, I had a lot of injuries, pretty significant injuries, you know, um, torn, torn ACL, torn rotator, like, kind of like significant injuries that, that, you know, and it seemed to come, interestingly enough, in my career, it always seemed to come right at that point when you're like playing your best, right? Because yeah. you're probably training the, the hardest and you're being pushed the most. When you're playing your best, a big, big injury comes, which takes you out two, three months. Um, so that's one thing, injuries, um, which, you know, this is why I, I teach now um, yoga specific to athletes, because I think a lot of the injuries, at least I suffered, are definitely preventable. Um, and then the other thing, uh, which is just as if not more significant, at least in my, uh, my personal experience, was my, uh, my mental abilities. I just, I, I just really never really had the, the, the tools and the ability to control my emotions on the court. Um, I was very, very, very competitive, like uber competitive, but that came with, um, that came with, uh, with a lot of anger and frustration, uh, on the court that I, that, that didn't allow me to become a better player than I was. So that's another thing that I, uh, I, I work with athletes now to develop tools on how to control those emotions and, you know, how to process, uh, pressure, not just on the court, but off the court, um, in your everyday life type of thing. 
a lot of student athletes struggle a lot with that because you, you give everything and then you get injured and maybe like that that kind of makes you sad because you cannot give your 100% or 200% on the court. So that's incredible that you do that and you work with athletes. Yeah, I mean, I hope, yeah, that's kind of my, my, my mission really um, is to, you know, provide the resources that weren't available to me. And that's why I, I'm so excited about what you do because, you know, I wish there was a resource like, uh, like your podcast when I was, when I was uh, pursuing a college career. But in my way, that's what I'm trying to do is uh, provide the resources, both the physical, uh, mental, emotional training um, that I wish it was available to me. Because like I said, especially the injury side, a lot of those are very, very preventable. Um, and on the mental side, you know, I tell people all the time too, is uh, just my coaches and my parents always told me like not to get upset on the court, but never told me how not to get upset. You know, it's just yeah. like, they, they, they always told me the, the end result that was, that was desired or, or, or expected out of me, but never told me like, okay, well, this is what you do when you feel these emotions coming or whatever that may be. So yeah, for sure. Tell us a little bit about your company and how you do that. Yeah. Um, so um, I, I started a company called Breathlete, which is uh, which is kind of like the the two uh, words com combination of the word breath and athlete. Um, and uh, uh, what I what I do is I teach um, uh, yoga, breathing exercises, and meditation visualization techniques specific to to athletics and specific to the sport uh, the, the athletes I'm, I'm, I'm working with. And if you're, you know, if you're taking Tyson as, as an example, you know, um, we work, I work with um, basically on a physical level, the yoga movements to, to prevent injuries, uh, heal old injuries. And uh, uh, on the, on the mental side of things, teaching, teaching folks how to breed um, in general, because most of us don't breed the way uh, we are designed to breed, but even more so once we learn that, how to breed uh, depending on the situation that you're in right? Uh, like how are you going to control your, your heart rate and your physiology in between, let's say, just again, sticking with tennis as an example, between two points when you're, you know, like you just going through a long rally or heart is pounding, you might have missed, a, you know, an easy overhead at the end. How do you calm down in between points? How get yourself ready for the next uh, point or, you know, in between changeovers when you have about two minutes? What do you do to, again, prep yourself uh, to be able to perform your best self. And then, of course, uh, meditation and visualizations to prepare, again, even prior to competition. Like, what do you, what do, you do before even you, you get into a match? Um, what do you do when you come off the court? Whether you had a big win or a big loss, uh, how do you prepare for the next match? Or how do you prepare for the next tournament? Like kind of processing uh, emotions, and do you work just with athletes in general or specific college athletes or teams? Yes, that's a great question. Um, so I, I, um, that's kind of my, my, my project. Breath Lead is my project. But of course, uh, in general, I, 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 I teach yoga. I teach general yoga classes. If you're in Denver, you can come to uh, yoga <laughs> I would um, take that. <laughs> But so I work with a uh, with general uh, population like that. But with with Breathly, you know, I'm um, I actually the, the company is very young. It's uh, less than a year old, and actually, I really started just diving into it more full time with the pandemic, which is actually interesting opportunity with that. I think that's very important for all the students, and I wish I had the resource when I was a cup player too, because I I remember. I would take my senior year, I would take the 20 seconds between points just to breathe. The other player, she would get pretty annoyed. 
Yeah. Well, it's funny you say that because uh, um, I uh, b- b- this is before I knew anything about how to do this. You know, I always was interested in 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 breath from an early age. But I've developed my little own little breeding. Uh, uh, habits um, in my during my college career, and I just remember it was so funny because I was I was doing something that actually I wouldn't recommend now. It was just wasn't wasn't um, technically uh, technically correct, but that's kind of what I came up with myself at that point. But I remember um, the trainer, uh, the, the the school's trainer, coming up to me after one of the matches is like are you okay? Like, what are you doing? Like, are you okay? Do we need, are we, should we be concerned with what you're doing? And I was like, no, you don't understand. I'm like trying this thing to like uh, calm my breath. But that, but that also, that kind of just goes to show you, you know, how a lot of these uh, resources are how unknown and on uh, not taking advantage of like, I mean, the trainer just had absolutely no concept of even what I was trying to do, you know? Yeah, for sure. And you were talking about Hawaii Pacific. And that was a quite a long time ago than when I was on the team. How was your experience playing for the back in the day it was the Sea Wars and now it's the Sharks? Yeah, yeah. It was it was actually funny. Uh so I did uh, uh just to, to backtrack just for one second. So I did two years in South Carolina, right? And and honestly, um that wasn't and we can talk about that a little bit more if you want, but that was definitely not a great fit for me personally. That was just like not and I think there are some learnings there. I would just say do your research to where you're going location-wise. Um, I think that's a big thing. But basically, I spent two years in South Carolina that, that I didn't, that was not a good fit for me. But uh, I had um, I had a, a record and a, and a career that kind of allowed me to, to, to kind of a school that I wanted to go in. And the opportunity to go to Hawaii came out. I was like, of course, yes. Who doesn't <laughs> want to go to Hawaii? And... Um, yeah, so it, it it was it was a it was an interesting time in for the team too because it just went through a massive change. They just came off uh, winning uh, uh, NCAA national championship, but for uh, many different reasons, half of the team uh, had to um, had to stop playing um, after that season. So the first year uh, was just a big. Um, big uh time of reconstructing the team we didn't even have a full team for my first uh for my first year there we had uh, our coach uh that actually recruited me um uh kind of uh stopped working for the team i think maybe even just like a month month and a half after i arrived also i just happened to this is another interesting uh story but two weeks before i uh transferred to hawaii um or like before I had to go to Hawaii, I, I tore my uh, ACL in my knee. So my first semester, I was on crutches. I didn't even play. And then, um, which actually was was okay at that time because the, the the team was in such a reconstructive phase. Uh, we, I think we only had four players on the team for the first semester and had a, um, a full season. But again, it was just a reconstructing phase. And then the, then the second year there, which was my last year of playing, was... You know, when we had a new coach, um, a full team, um, and uh, yeah, so that's kind of on the on the tennis side. But on on the personal side, I mean, just the transition from going from uh, a tiny, tiny uh, school, uh, heavily um, religious school in South Carolina, um, with I think for like maybe at that point maybe fifteen hundred students to to Hawaii uh, was just absolutely 
just amazing. I mean, you know, you live there. Hawaii is just uh, a very, very special place on this planet. For sure. So you mentioned about choosing the school. So how, what was the problem or the issue you had with playing for Anderson College? Uh, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say issue. It was just really wasn't a really great fit for me, you know, and, and I think that's kind of what I would what I would say if there is any learning um, that maybe people can take away um, just from my experience, which is, of course, very personal and very unique to me is to kind of do your research. And again, like I said, back, back in the day, it was a lot harder. Um, you know, like I I'll be honest, I had no idea where South Carolina was before 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 setting foot there, you know, it was, I had no idea what would that mean. Of course, growing up, you see, you know, at least for me, it was like, you see movies about the U S and that's what you think it is. And like, whether it's Kansas, South Carolina, New York, or Alaska, like it's in my consciousness. And this kind of goes to maybe my show my, uh, my naivety about it, but it was all one thing. Right. And so I landed in South Carolina. And again, I I grew up in, in Budapest, Hungary, a big, you know, big metropolitan city with all the resources and city life and public transportation and all those things, you know, I I grew up there uh, and going from there to a, a very, 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 very small school. Um, where also is just I uh, it just it was a Baptist university uh, or a back then college and it was I, I didn't grow up in personally I didn't grow up with any sort of um, you know um, spiritual upbringing um, so it was very very foreign uh, to me and um, yeah I guess those those are the things I loved I loved the team you know uh, my my coach was great it was just location wise and local you know quote-unquote local culture wise it was just a, it was just a I couldn't I, I didn't feel like I fit in at all yeah so now 20 maybe a little bit less than 20 years after do you still have um, are you still in touch with them yeah, very much so. So, like for Anderson, uh, I have a couple of my um, couple of my uh, my friends and teammates. Um, uh, my uh, good friend uh, Fitzy from Australia, who was my roommate, who was also a lifesaver because I didn't speak any English, and he was my roommate <laughs> and helped me write papers and all those things. I'm 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 in touch with him. Um, uh, I'm in touch with another uh, uh, former teammate of mine, Dan, who then who happens to be the. Uh, assistant coach from uh, University of Maryland women's tennis now and um, so those two guys really from Anderson but then from from Hawaii from a lot a lot of the guys of course I'm I'm very much in touch with the school because I I work with them um, and uh, Henrik who's um, the head coach is he's one of my one of my closest friends uh, he was my roommate in Hawaii uh, but a lot of other guys um, actually maybe three or four guys from the team there I'm, I'm still in pretty regular touch with our former assistant coach. I just had one of, uh, one of my former teammates just swing through Colorado just a few weeks ago and came by my house and, you know, we did a socially distancing hangout outside. So <laughs> did you visualize where you are at now? Like back in the day, would you ever think you'd be um, doing what you do today? Uh, I think it's very, it's very logical for me what I do now. It's kind of like, a, I really do feel like this is kind of what I, what I meant to do. But what's interesting about it is it, take, it took a lot of uh, uh, twists and turns for me to get here. And I think this is one thing that maybe, uh, maybe people can take away from uh, my experience too, that, that it, it wasn't, 
you know, I've had a couple of different careers, you know, like I worked for, uh, in business for 10 years, uh, before even, um, reconnecting with, with tennis and with coaching. Uh, you know, I always, always loved, loved, loved coaching and teaching. That's what I always like to do, but I was, I was so ready to not deal with tennis and it took me, you know, 10 years going away from it and, you know, working a corporate career before kind of reconnecting to, you know, no, I, I still love teaching. I love coaching and I love sharing. I'm just not sharing now other aspects of that, you know, of tennis um, than before. Um, so like I said, I always was interested in actually in working with the breath, even from as a young kid. And, you know, I was always interested in, um, you know, working with the body and mind body concepts. I dabbled in martial arts and all those things. So that was always, you know, in my background. And of course, really when, um, when I went for my first yoga class over 10 years ago, I was like, yep, I'm going to be doing this for the rest of my life. I don't know what this is, but I'm, I'm in. So I guess to answer your question, um, yes and no. <laughs> I would have seen, but maybe would have not seen at all. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. And you're telling me you, you worked in uh, business. Were you scared to make that transition to being a yoga instructor? Uh, no, it was very natural for me and, and it was kind of like time. And I think this is one thing that also, again, since this, this podcast is about, you know, sharing, you know, stories that maybe can help other student athletes. I would say that too, that, you know, I studied business, um, not necessarily because that was my most, what I was most interested in. I honestly just didn't have any other models in front of me at that. I don't know how it is now, but at that point I quite literally can say besides my friend Fritzi, who was um, actually studying exercise science, uh, my Australian roommates, I don't know if I know anyone on any of my teams that didn't study business. Um, I don't know anyone um, that at that time that came to the US, my friends from, from Hungary that didn't study business. Like that was just kind of like the thing, right? So I did that and, and, and I find aspects of it that I found very interesting. I ended up doing marketing and that's what I did for 10 years. I worked in, um, in marketing uh, and I found that very interesting, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't quite my, my calling ever, right? Like, it's not like you are, you are meant to do marketing, you know, and I still <laughs> love it. I still do freelance work when, when opportunities present itself, but that was just not my calling. So I guess what I, what I would say about that for anyone that's interested in pursuing is, is really spend some time reflecting on what you think uh, you want to do. And it's okay. I think, especially uh, I think the opportunity in the U S is, is more present in a, in American college system to not have to pick your, you know, what you want to study in your first semester or even your first year. So I would encourage people, unless you have this calling, like, no, I wanted to be a, that or a doctor, since I was two years old. So I'm going to pursue that, of course, if that's the calling. But if you don't have that, then spend a little time, you know, looking around, exploring what you might actually be interested in studying and doing. Um, uh, because I didn't do that. And uh, it took me 10 years to come back to what I meant to do, you know. So what was the biggest learning experience you had to go through as a student athlete? Wow, what a... What a great question. Um, I would say um, just adaptability is um, maybe it's a big concept, but really that to be able to 
to the adapt to the situation at hand, right? Uh, whether it's whether it's in a in a competitive situation or just a situation you just landed in a you know in a new country, new culture with language that is kind of hard for to grasp, where you need to study economics or psychology in a language that is kind of hard to grasp anyway. Um, is is the importance of uh, of being able to adjust to the situation um, instead of always trying to control the situation. Just not, it's not always possible, right? We are trying our best, but it's not always possible. I think that's great because we all move from a different country and you have to adapt to a different culture and different people actually, because everyone is different. Before we started the, the podcast, we were talking about uh, these hard times for student athletes and maybe a lot of people are suffering with anxiety. What would you, and I mean, like I said, maybe that affects a lot of student athletes in their senior years. What would you recommend for those experiencing anxiety right now? I would definitely start with the breath. Um, and that's kind of why my, my, even my company is called Breathlead because breath is really the foundation of, of, of everything that we do, whether it's movement, it's our, it's our most basic movement, uh, whether you want to start meditating, every single meditation is based on um, of, uh, uh, being conscious of our breathing. Uh, what I mean by starting with the breath is really being conscious of taking um, long, deep inhales and exhales throughout your daily uh, activities. But if you are actually going to do some sort of practice sitting down is, um, you know, we tend to hold our breath a lot. We don't tend to, you know, uh, uh, deep, uh, I mean, breathe deeply. So big, long inhales and exhales. And um, trying to breathe through the belly. Everyone probably heard about belly breathing. And if, um, if you haven't or like you don't know how to do that, you can look it up online on my website or there's a million other videos, but kind of trying to cultivate a belly breath, which, which, allows, um, which allows us to, to calm our nervous system. Because that's what it really is about. The, the breath is the connection between our, our uh, body and our mind, um, and it works with our nervous system. Uh, and I'll share one last tip. If you're actually in the midst of anxiety or frustration, it's not just like, oh, I feel generally anxious, but there's actually something going on with, which uh, triggers you. Um, taking a long exhale, meaning it doesn't matter how long you inhale, but making sure that your exhale is quite a bit longer, ideally twice as long, but as just as long as it is longer than your inhale, it will uh, allow your heart rate to slow down uh, and it will allow your nervous system uh, to, to regulate up into a little bit of the rest and digest uh, part of your nervous system, lower blood pressure, start releasing um, uh, hormones in the body that, that signals to the body that it's rest and digest, it's okay, um, instead of uh, releasing cortisol or any of the adrenaline or the stress hormones. As you were speaking and explaining, I was unconsciously but consciously just working my breath and kind of taking deep breaths and just listening that's amazing thank you and i hope people listening were doing the same thing yeah yeah it's, that's what's that's what's so beautiful about working with the breath it's very very simple um 
And I always like to say it's not easy because uh, it's not necessarily easy, but it's very, very simple concepts. But we're not, uh, we just don't think about it. And which is really interesting because, you know, I like to tell folks is the first thing that we do when we come into the to this world is we take an inhale. The last thing that we do is we exhale before we pass on. And in between, we breathe anytime between 17 to 30,000 times a day, but uh, depending on how fast you breathe. But no one ever talks about how to do that. How how would uh, student athletes or teams find you? How how they can contact with you? Oh yeah, so I'm on on, on the all the kind of social platforms. It's, it's um, my Instagram handle uh, is breathlet, uh, and again, it's just um, maybe in the show notes we can share. But it's the word combination of the word uh, breath and athlete. I guess sorry, my Instagram handle is be breathlet. Uh, same with my Facebook handle, but the website is. Um, is just breathlead.com. And there's a ton of uh, free videos of yoga, meditation, um, breathing exercises, again, specific to, to athletes. All right, so to finish off, let's play the little game, the famous one, this or that, is that okay? Yes, of course. So dog or cat? Dog, although I love cats too. Uh, dog, I have a dog that is more spoiled and I love him unbelievably much <laughs> pancake or waffle Ooh, that's a tough one depends on the pancake <laughs> or the waffle if you've been to hawaii kino's uh pancakes in uh kailua are the best pancakes so i'll take those over any waffles but generally speaking i actually eat a lot more waffles so waffles and pancakes <laughs> <laughs> ocean or mountains Gosh, I wish you didn't ask me that. That's so hard. I uh, I live tw 10 minutes from the mountains and I love the mountains. So I guess my wife and I talk about this all the time. If we had to live somewhere, probably mountains. If it's the activity that you can do in either, then oceans. Surfing is, there's nothing I'd rather do than surf. <laughs> <laughs> and city or countryside? Uh, right now, city countryside maybe in a few years okay hot or cold weather you have been to both too oh depends right now i live in colorado so it's cold here um so i guess i guess maybe i would say cold now if you could tell something to your younger south what would that be hmm um yeah don't stop exploring that's a great one well, we had such a great chat and I just want to thank you so much again for taking your time. Uh, it was kind of funny when you comment on the, the HPU post and I was like, oh my God, yes. You know, I was so excited. So I really appreciate and I'm sure you inspire a lot of people. Yeah, I hope so too. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me. Like I said, when I first um, saw uh, the post, I was like, what a, what a great concept. I think it's just, it's such a, could be such a value. And I think, um, what you're doing is awesome. So thanks for, thanks for having me and uh, allowing me to share my story. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast and join us every week as former student athletes share their own experience of playing college sports. See you next week. Ciao. Hasta luego. Adios. Bye.